What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Gaming Trend Reboot Podcast. My name is Mike Pierce, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Joe DeClara. Joe, what is up, sir? Uh, not much, man. I've just been playing some video games and thought, hey, video games are great. Love talking about video games. Should jump back on with my friend and my podcast co-host mr mike pierce so mike it's i'm so glad that you're on here with me and that i'm on here with you on your podcast to talk more about video <laughs> games again that's right yeah what, what was it last time was it was it your podcast last time do we switch it's ownership true. well last week? time yeah here's the thing last time was the the missing episode it's the mysterious long lost episode because one of the tracks that we were using to record did not work so it's uh, lost to the ages, but we did discover that you had a podcast. Well, I discovered it at least because I had you on my podcast, the GT Reboot, and you know I switch off every week with you. So now I'm on your show, the GT Reboot. What a great podcast! Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And it, you know what? It's funny you should mention the 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 episode being lost because I think that might be a little bit too coincidental. Coincidental because. Uh, we fired Hunter Wolf not that long ago mm. from the podcast, mm. and I think probably his his absence and his you know his hostile firing and bad terms may have something to do with the disappearance of the last episode. Oh, you think sabotage is is uh, at work here? Absolutely. That's that's not uh, he's not above that kind of that kind of foul play. That would be so some serious. It could definitely be Hunter Wolf. Serious covert operations uh, definitely would be required because I record on a separate recording device for my voice. This is now getting thick in the weeds of how the GT reboot is produced. <laughs> but I record separately from the computer. I record on this little device here so he would have had to physically come into my home because it didn't the file didn't exist on the internet it was on this little recording device he would have had to come to my home and erase my file in order to do that so that would have been really impressive and uh a little terrifying so i really hope well, you're wrong. i'm i'm telling you here and now joe that mr hunter wolf is a little pennsylvania snake in the grass so you you be careful <laughs> they have those pennsylvania snakes in the grass I hear that's a, that's a specific <laughs> genus of the of the snakes in the grass of Pennsylvania. <laughs> All right. Well, before we uh, go any further down this ridiculous rabbit hole of uh, accusing Hunter of things in absentia, we will uh, go ahead and get to the news. And um, this, we've got some interesting news this week. Probably top among them is that uh, Blue Hole, the current developer of Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, is actually spinning off. A subsidiary of themselves, and the this subsidiary will basically be. Where's the quote here? I had it. It's um, their entire focus will be quote accelerating overall business development and managing global operations for PUBG. Um, and this was stated by the former chief executive officer, or no, he was the producer. He was the executive producer at Blue Hole. This is all getting a little confusing, and he is now the chief executive officer of the new subsidiary, a man named, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Chang Han Kim. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's uh, it's an interesting, it, it, I, to me, it marks their massive success, which of course is not really under debate at all. I mean, they've sold millions and millions of units, and it's now, I believe, the most popular game on Steam. So, and they're, yeah, they're over 13 million copies. Um but hey, we've got we've got some some weird competition 
cropping up now in the form of Fortnite from Epic Games, which of course is its own interesting little story. But um, Joe, what do you what do you think about this? What do you make of this development? You know, this sort of split off of Blue Hole. Yeah, definitely expected when I first saw it. The headline reads off as, "Oh, wow, there's a new new Blue Hole happening." But of course, there was always going to be once they grew. Uh, to this large uh, company or this large success, actually, the company was always going to expand and grow. That's what you hope for when you have a big success like this and you have all this money coming in. Uh, you hire more and you get separate teams working on separate projects. So uh, this is also a game that is uh, in currently in development right this is an early access game so they're still constantly right. working on it they just released a very significant update recently and uh, well they patch it regularly yeah yeah I mean, regularly like patching once a month it and then least. big yeah and then they bring up big updates where there's like a lot of new features and stuff and it's it's very it's a fun experience to be honest because it's like a very well uh it's a well planned well managed early access game which you don't see too much of there are a few of those really popular ones and PUBG is one of them where every time it comes out it's like this new update where the game changes and it's fun and it's uh exciting and then sometimes you get these uh server issues and they just uh persist through multiple patches and people get frustrated and whatever but then they create a subsidiary company that can work on little things while the big blue hole works on big things. So this is all good news for PUBG fans. This is good news for blue hole. And uh, I'm excited because I'm, I'm excited for this game to maybe not be finished. I don't know how this works now, you know, like a, a game is never finished. It's just released as they say. So I don't know when they're going to decide that this is finished. If they have like a, a line that they want to draw for it, but I'm excited for that goal to be approached by them now because uh, with this expansion for their company, they should do very well in finally achieving that goal and getting this game out at retail and even soon possibly out on Xbox. That'll be exciting for the game. Right, right. And I think, yeah, this is, I think this is especially, this is big for a number of reasons, but one of them I know that, you know, the whole early access Steam thing has been kind of on and off controversial for a while because there's been some games that have just sort of been perpetually stuck in early access and people complain about the fact that a, a developer or publisher can make money off of a game that's incomplete and stays incomplete. Mm. Um, but of course there are games that come out the other side of it and do end up as a, as a polished successful game. And I think if there is any doubt among people out there, and I, I doubt there was too much with, uh, with PUBG, but if there was any doubt in anyone's mind that PUBG would make it to a full release, this should completely eliminate any of that doubt. Because if they're, you know, splitting off a subsidiary company that's only goal is to develop and finish this game, basically. Um, and, and they're going to do a little more than that, too. There's actually, there's, um, they're going to be pushing the whole potential in esports and, and stuff like that. But uh, this, this is just entirely a good thing, I think, for fans of the game. So I think people should be really excited about this. And I, for one, am really pumped to see if this gets into esports. I've never been into esports, but I could see myself watching this because there is there is no game out there that's more of a nail biter than than PUBG. It is ridiculous when you're in it, or when you're spectating, or when you're watching a um, you know like a video of your buddy, or you see some highlights or something. This game is seriously a nail biter. So 
Yeah, this it would be. Yeah, PUBG would, it would be, be incredible to watch. Yeah, I've watched actually a couple of those tournaments that they've had, and it's very interesting. There's definitely a very different, um, a different and uh, excuse me, atmosphere to uh, a an esports environment as there always is when you're spectating uh, another uh, a group of players that you're not partaking in. Right, then it's always going to change uh, the dynamics of that experience. But this game is interesting because I had the thought of like, is this going to be an esports? Can this be an esport? And that's always a weird, almost silly thing to consider. And uh, actually an ex-editor, ex-GT editor, uh, who now works actually at uh, Compete, the subsidiary of Kotaku, Eric Van Allen, him and uh, another editor over there, Manny Myers, had an interesting conversation about it on uh, Kotaku's podcast and they were talking about how uh first of all they said that like every game can be an esport like there's just there instead of uh trying to pick and choose and make some kind of um some kind of list of requirements that a game has to make for it to be an esport their their sentiment is everything is an esport everything has potential to be esport and that i think is fair and PUBG is like i said i have weird things like how do you make it an esport that's fair and that makes sense but i mean people will still watch it and it's so popular that people will be very interested when something comes out of it and uh they'll definitely be rolling on that pretty hard with this new uh, subsidiary uh, working on things on the back end while uh, the core group, as I hope, are working on the game and working on finishing it. But I mean, I gotta say, uh, the spectating sport, like watching as an eSport, I liked it, but I just it just made me want to play more PUBG because PUBG <laughs> is just so much fun. I love this game, and uh, I'm a big fan of its uh, ever-growing uh, fan base, so... I need to play more of it. I really do. I need to get back into it. The couple times you and me have done it has been ridiculously fun. You do. So. Well, we've been we've been pushing the whole uh like let's get let's plays going or streams going. We should definitely get a duo stream every week going and then we'll uh we'll make it a thing. Should be good. Yeah, we should, man. That would that would be really fun because this game is like it, it's it's nail biting, but it also can be really funny. There are some hilarious moments that happen in these games. Oh, like yeah. I've seen some videos of just like the people that there was one that I saw. I think I I might have retweeted it on Twitter or something. But this um, there was this group of guys who were playing together, and they all managed to pick up the same clothes, so they looked the same, and they could tell, uh, you know, who they could tell each other from everyone else. And this single solo, the solo player managed to get himself the same clothes they had. And he sort of like snuck into their group and no one was really paying attention or counting for some reason that there was an additional <laughs> member. And they get into a car and no joke, this dude just whips out a grenade and just detonates the entire <laughs> car as they're all in there. And he's just dying. He's just losing yeah, his shit. The, and, the let's play uh, factor in this game, it's definitely really high it's very very good and yeah i play it like regularly i mean i swore i didn't swear off the game but i stopped playing the game regularly for a while when destiny 2 came out and then when i picked up the dishonored review but uh i recently jumped back into the game and holy crap it's just it's one of my favorite games easily it's this and zelda pretty much for this year uh for being just my absolute overall experience and uh it's it's pretty good. I can't imagine not playing this game, and I can't imagine playing this game and not having a good time. You know, like even with the frustration right. of like there are frustrating moments where you know 
if you're in solo queue, I don't know how much solo you play, but you'll land somewhere, you'll be reclused, you'll be totally cut off from everyone else, and you're in a good spot in the circle, and you'll deck out yourself in all the stuff you need, your level 3 gear, you've got scopes, you have everything you need, and then you're in like the third circle, and you're just crawling up on someone, and then you just get sniped from the back, and you're dead instantly. It's like, all right, well, <laughs> I just wasted 20 minutes of my life. But it's generally, it's always been fun. It's not, the frustration is never nearly as, it, never close to the uh, level of fun, like uh, like ruining the fun, you know, it's a great game. Yeah, it's, and the, and the, the thrill of, um, or the draw, I guess, of winning and doing really well just keeps people coming back and back and back. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it is such an addiction. That's where it is. That's the addiction right there. That, that win you get, and then you just, you're chasing that dragon from then on. You're screwed. Exactly. You're in it. Yeah. So we're going to, instead of uh, gloating over our, our love of PUBG, we're going to, we're going to move on a little bit here. Um, and the, one of the, the next big stories is um, Red Dead Redemption 2. And people have been talking about this game for quite a long time and hoping that it was going to come out. And um, we got a sort of like a full trailer just recently. And it confirms that Red, Red, uh, excuse me, Red Dead Redemption is in fact a prequel to the original. Um, and for what it's worth, it's going to involve bows and arrows, which was something that was much requested and much hoped for in the previous game and uh now it's actually going to be in this one i'm not quite sure why that was so special but it's right there in the trailer i mean it's not a video the, game the until you have it's not an adventure video game until you have bow and arrow mike that's just that's the rule <laughs> yeah. you gotta fill that prerequisite and it it looks interesting because it's um you're you're playing a guy named dutch van der Lind, and he's the he's the ringleader of the gang that that you were basically hunting down in the first one. And at least from the trailer, it looks like you're pretty much just playing a, a bad guy. Like you're not, you're not playing, you know, someone who's trying to redeem themselves from a life of crime or anything like that. Pretty much looks like you're just playing a, a criminal for, for I mean, a lack of a better way to put it. That's, and that sounds, that's the Western awesome. experience we want. Right. But I'm sure there'll <laughs> right. be, I'm sure there'll be a morality meter, you know, like in the first game, uh, you'll, if you are killing more people and you're killing more deputies and, uh, sheriffs, then you're going to get your lower meter and you're going to be the outlaw or you'll be the, uh, you'll be the hero, whatever the, uh, the paragon is. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Exactly. Of a, a, a morality meter. And, uh, yeah, the game will probably that'll probably have no bearing on the ending, just like the first game, because uh, Rockstar works that way. And uh, but I mean, it's I'm definitely excited. You know, Rockstar does a stellar job with almost everything they touch, and especially the games that there are those uh, IPs that you know they're just going to put everything into. Like obviously, Red Dead was just this blockbuster surprise for everyone i mean just uh not that it was a blockbuster but because it was just a western that they've never done this kind of thing before except for revolver which was sort of its own thing and definitely not nearly the success that the gta franchise was so i mean this game i'm excited for because i'm excited for whatever rockstar decides to spend their time and their uh resources to do and the game looks beautiful 
right? And uh, I recently been playing GTA Five on the PC again. And you really? Yeah, just I just picked up and just started playing the story because of this story coming out. And uh, I mean, it's just a beautiful game, and it's got so much crazy crazy detail that they just like how would you decide to spend your time like recording five extra hours of just this character so that you could have three different sequences where michael and his son are talking about a different thing like and then you flip flops that are flip flopping while they're on your feet like i can't believe a developer like this exists and they're able to spend this much time on something and I think it's like me comparing to like PUBG, like I play hours and hours of PUBG and switching over to GTA. It's like, whoa, this is a, this is what a quality game looks like. Not that PUBG isn't a quality game, but it's got all the bells and whistles. So right. Red Dead in a few months, I'm definitely very excited for. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, Rockstar is well known for just crazy environmental detail and, and and just beautiful environments and very immersive environments too so they're they're basically the perfect developer for this game i mean obviously they did number one but this is i feel like this is a kind of a game that no one else can really do as well as rockstar this is just this is their bread and butter this kind of stuff and i'm i'm really excited for it because westerns are so perfect for a sort of a you know rpg kind of first person experience narrative experience sort of a like they're just it's just perfect and and rockstar is perfect to create that so well, I, cannot... I don't know if they're perfect for the rpg experience i don't know what you mean by rpg specifically but i i, I don't want them delving into any crazy stats grinding or anything like that anytime well soon. yeah it'll be i'm sure there'll be some really light rpg elements i doubt it's going to be anything crazy yeah. but that's all i meant is just the usual the usual stuff from from rockstar i don't want it to be like the witcher 3 but no. set in <laughs> you know 1870 or something like that I, I that's not what i'm hoping for i mean uh so. this is uh yeah it's going to be a pretty excellent game i'm sure i hope it i can't imagine it matches the excellence of the first of red dead redemption at least because i mean that game the story of that game was just so stellar and the characters of that game and uh the storytelling specifically like it's it's standard rock star storytelling but i just remember it being so mysterious and almost like it verges almost on the supernatural just in slight moments and it's very they keep it very vague though and then that ending sequence that everyone raves about all the time uh i just can't imagine them topping that again so what i hope though they just give us a great world and i'm sure they do i mean this trailer looks fantastic the trailer shows me that they've got a good grip on what people liked about the first one right that they wanted to come back to these characters in this story uh and I'm not sure what's to be told from this Dutch guy or this Arthur Morgan guy, who I think is the guy you're playing as. I thought I thought Dutch was like the ringleader and you were one of his lackeys. But now I'm not sure of anything. But Oh, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. It's the story. That, here's the quote. The story of outlaw Arthur Morgan and the Vanderlyn gang is they rob, fight, and steal their way across the vast and rugged heart of America in order to survive. Word. Yeah, that sounds so, like yeah, you're right. Redemption. Dutch Vanderlyn is the the ringleader. Ten ten bucks says you're gonna have to kill him towards the end of the game. I wouldn't be surprised. I I wonder <laughs> what it means if they if they mean anything particular in order to survive. They have like if that means that we're gonna be 
pushing towards survival type uh, mechanics or if they're, you know, if it's just them actually being outlaws and just, it you know, uh, justifying the fact that they're outlaws. I don't know if there's anything to read into that or read into any of these trailers, but I mean, in any case, I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. That, you're, that, that is an interesting an interesting quote. I didn't really actually focus in on that on that little bit of phrasing there, but you're right. That could have that could have some really interesting implications for how um, you know what you do in the game. But uh, it's quite it's it's too vague to really speculate. Yeah, or it could be point, nothing, right? It could just be like silly box quote type thing. Yeah, yeah. So in other news, we're going to go back to your favorite company, Joe. Mm. And that's Nintendo. Oh yeah, and uh, the uh, specifically the SNES Classic Edition consoles that are coming out this year, and I think as everyone knows at this point, it's been sort of the typical Nintendo thing—the sort of on again, off again availability—and don't really know when you're going to get it or if you're going to get it. Um, but uh, at, at least according to Polygon, the SNES Classic Edition will be available throughout the holiday season at major retailers. So we're talking Target, GameStop, Toys R Us, Polygon, or Jesus, not Polygon. Here I am just reading word for word. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing, according to Polygon, is that representatives from each one of these uh, retailers has basically all had the same kind of answer. And that answer is, yes, it will be available. Yes, it will be the holiday season. But no... We don't know when that's going to be and when the shipments will be arriving. So really the answer is it may or may not be available. Not not the yes, it will definitely be available. We just don't know when. So it's this is just no, sort it's, of par it's for the course with Nintendo. Literally but, a um, repeat. Yeah, repeat of last year. I mean, not necessarily, not just yet are we in the actual throes of the repeat sequence where oh they promise more they don't come they promise more they again don't come they discontinue but i mean from last time we heard the story uh this was the nes classic being purported to have production and uh retail presence later and throughout the holiday season and they didn't and it was they said they use vague language like this saying, oh, there will be stock through the holiday season. And once every four, three or four weeks throughout the holiday season, the stores would restock with five, three, two more units. And then people would line up outside and be disappointed. <laughs> like that actually happened. It's not even exaggeration. So no, I know. I it's just so ridiculous. Yeah, I can't help but laugh. Of course. At it. Yeah. So like it's, it's insane that they would promise this and like why why bother you know just i'm surprised that retailers aren't totally infuriated i'm sure they are actually but i'm sure that they're not just fed up with nintendo's shit at this point because i mean they they do well when they sell these things but i mean they're it must be frustrating just hearing like oh we'll get you more stock and then they never know when they they stay quiet about that as always and then when they do follow through, or they don't, they don't follow through. They come back with a bunch of non-games. I've heard better things, better stories about this game. Uh, obviously, there was that whole uh, pre-order debacle earlier in the year where people were pre-ordering the game and they were confirming pre-orders and then their pre-orders were refunded and uh, sent back. Mm -hmm. So, But so far, since the release, people have been saying they've been able to get their hands on it, but I mean... 
obviously I'm sure now they're they're sold out. Maybe I'm wrong, but I look this thing, I'm not surprised that there's more secrecy and uh unknown entities to what the plan is for the future of this console. And for, frankly, yeah, I don't care. Like, I just, I would rather these games on my Switch. When are we going to get that? When are we going to just have the games coming back to the Switch? NES, SNES. I'm ready for that. Well, that'll that'll only happen once this, like, weird hodgepodge, maybe yes, maybe no shipment system is gone and they're done producing the SE, SNES Classic. Then, then it'll come to Switch. Because they just want to keep you on the hook for a little while. Waiting and waiting to try to get your classic, Probably. and then when you realize it's never going to happen, they'll be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, we'll we'll put it out on the Switch." That's that would be the normal like producer developer like path to take, but I sincerely doubt it because I think well, they already confirmed that they're going to bring up the NES Classic again next year around holiday season or around the summer. I forget when, but they'll be re-releasing the NES Classic. And people oh, will God. flood the stores for that again, and there won't be enough. And then they'll do yep. the SNES <laughs> Classic, and then they'll just go back and forth for years. And people will oh, what, buy these for years and years and flood the market for them? I don't know. I, I, I don't understand this this strategy, if it is a strategy or if they're just totally incompetent. I don't understand it. I hear the Super Nintendo Classic is great. The games on there, I can attest to them being great. I wish i don't even necessarily want it i just think it's hilarious that this is it's so far following the same narrative it looks a little better people are reporting that yeah i got mine and we were able to get our hands on it but i don't know i i see the headlines and it looks very similar so yeah i mean i think well i was gonna say two things one, I think our Gaming Trends uh, executive producer, I think is his title, and editor-at-large, Mr. Mike Dunn, I think he posted on Twitter not long ago saying that he had pre-ordered one from Amazon, and that was a month ago or so, and he hadn't heard anything from Amazon. You yep. know, so Amazon clearly doesn't know when they're getting it because then they can't tell him when it's going to be delivered, and yep. so he's completely in the dark. Um and then I just find it, it's just icing on the cake. I, I read recently that people are complaining that the, um, <laughs> this is, I can't even like, this is just too funny that the the length of the controller cords is still too damn short. Oh, yeah, is, yeah. Is what I read. And it's like, come on, guys, if you're re-releasing this thing, let's like, Yeah, what's know, the deal with the cords? Fix. Why the cords? Why like, <laughs> like now it's five feet instead of six feet. I don't know if that's the same length though. But the thing is, Ah, there's so many weird problems. Like they have, look, the, first of all, I've heard similar issues with the thing, but well, I've heard the issue that, uh, one, the home button is on the reset button on the console, like where you would press reset before taking out the oh, cartridge. No. It is on the console. And that's kind of the home button. That's where you go back to the hub to switch different games. And there's no home mm -hmm. button on the controller because the controller is a carbon copy of the SNES controller. So uh, maybe that's more authentic. That's fine. But I'm sure everyone would rather, instead of having to get up every time and hit the home button. Uh, but, I mean, also, they can't really just set the control the console close to you so that you can press it. Because then you need a long HDMI cable, which Nintendo doesn't provide because the HDMI cable, I hear, is like outrageously short just like they did with the switch and why is this such a problem why can't they just spend right. the extra 
0.3 cents to throw in another copper wire. I know that's not true. It's not just a copper wire, but I mean, damn Nintendo, just like give us give us longer cables. We like longer what cables. What's so funny to me about this is that so are you saying I I imagined them to be like six foot long cords, but I'll I'll, I'll go with you that they're five, which is of course even worse. Um, but like. So what are you, what are your options if you get this thing that you have you have two one of two really shitty options one you or well maybe not two but like you you have to be within just a few feet of your TV and no one wants to be that close to their fucking TV especially not these days when they're like 42 50 yeah, no, 60 not, even yeah, 70 not even inches like yeah. that's no you don't want to be that close because your fucking head is going to explode but so then What's your so you're either if you're that close, you're either sitting on the floor or you've now moved your chair out of its normal place and you've pulled it right up next to the TV, which is also stupid and inconvenient. And or like you said, you buy a hellishly long HDMI cable and then you have to put your goddamn NES or your SNES like on the floor in the middle of the room or on like a coffee table. I mean, that's the authentic experience, right? Like you're a kid. And you're sitting on your floor with the SNES right next to you, looking up at the TV. That's the experience, Mike. I yeah, definitely the experience that I'm looking for these days for <laughs> sure. Like Jesus Christ, Nintendo. I seriously don't understand it. But anyway, there's no it's 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 just too much. Yeah, I just want so. these really it's just funny to me because I, I don't necessarily want I wouldn't say I wouldn't get the SNES classic. I it's a cool it would be such a great you know, on the shelf, impulse buy, you know, everyone keeps saying the same thing. Like Nintendo, just make a ton of these, flood the market with them, and people will impulse buy these left and right. Like they're great consoles. They're great games. And it looks great. It's cute. It's small. Just put it on the shelves. And when people are getting online and it's holiday season, they'll just tear them off the shelves. They, they, you won't be able to make enough. Just like right. you're doing now. But I, That's anyway. what I was going to say, just like it is now. But yeah, I mean... <laughs> Honestly, the the truth of the matter, from my my personal uh, preference, I would just want these on the Switch. You know, like I can't wait to hear what Nintendo has planned. If anything, I hope something for Virtual well, right. Console I mean, or bringing games onto the Switch. That would that's where I want these games to exist, uh, not on my floor. To be able to, in you know, in yeah. my in my room or in my living room where I have to contend with some dumb cord scenario. You know, I just want them on my Switch. And everyone would love to be able to take, you know, any number of SNES games on the road with them, too. You know, like, and that's what the Switch is all about, is being able to play at home or on the road. And, I mean, yeah, how cool would that be? Like, having these, I don't know, like playing Donkey Kong Country or something on the bus on the way to work or something like I can, that. Or... I can tell you exactly how cool it would be. It would be awesome, because I've played right. so many other games on the Switch, and the games are made better. Like, I've been playing, I've been playing on and off... Uh, Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, which is that XCOM esque uh, Mario game by Ubisoft on the Switch, right. and I would not have played that game really. It looks great and it looks beautiful and it plays very well and it's fun, but I wouldn't have played nearly as much of it if it hadn't been on the Switch. Like the Switch, I played Zelda on the go and on the couch. I play Mario Kart on the go all the time. I played Street Fighter almost exclusively on the tv actually but like for each game it has its own way to live in my life and mario plus rabbits fits into my life as a mobile game that i could take my game with me and this 
SNES games, I feel would be the same. Like those RPGs I would be able to take with me and enjoy while on my train rides or while, you know, waiting around doing stuff out, out instead of actually conversing with people, you know, that's what I want my switch to <laughs> yeah, be. No, so, yeah. No one wants to do that. Yeah. Forget it. Get the switch and play some, uh, <laughs> Final Fantasy six, you know, that's, that's so, what it should um, be. On that, on on the old consoles note, we're gonna move on to our last bit of news today, which actually has to do with the the new Atari console that's gonna be coming out at the end of next year, or at least that's that's the current. Or no, 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 excuse me, late spring next year, so early summer ish, late spring ish, twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize this, but it's called the Atari Box, which, by the way, I think is just an absolutely awful name. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's just terrible. They, they could have been way more creative and way more cool than that, than just Atari box. But mm. anyway, that aside, we now have a slightly better idea of what's inside it in terms of hardware. And it's not incredibly specific, but basically it's going to have a customized AMD processor and Radeon graphics technology, which is pretty goddamn vague, but... You know, yeah, a whole at least company's worth of you know technology could be very good, could be very very bad, right? Um, and then it's also supposedly going to provide a full PC experience for the TV, which I find interesting. Um, and that might that might have something to do with why it's got the much more updated hardware because if it's going to be running old Atari games, it does not need very good hardware because those games are ancient and wouldn't take up a whole lot of uh, processing power or hardware to run or anything. So, um, and it will also, the OS will be Linux. So that says to me that it will be very open to, you know, modding and customization and things like that, because Linux is extremely open source and you can mess around with it all in all sorts of different ways. So um, that, that'd be kind of cool. That might, that might start an interesting new sort of modding craze or something. And, um, I'm sure that there will be websites that pop up and things like that that provide all sorts of cool Atari Box mods. Or well, that's Atari if the Atari mod. Box is successful, and that's another that's question true. entirely. You know, like is this? Yeah. The question is: Is this something people are looking for? Is the, is this who is this for? Like a lot of people were looking for the Steam Box experience, right? That Steam experience on your TV. But of mm-hmm. course, the Steam Box became this very vague, multifaceted thing because. Valve didn't actually make it. They allowed other people to make it, and then it wasn't at parity, and it became a nothing thing, right? It just became another version of a PC, and no one bought them. So is this going to be the same thing? Is this the Steam Box now, or is this just another Steam Box? Is a full PC experience for the TV, is that really what they want? I think that's bad marketing, to be honest, on my part. A full PC experience, like, am I going to be playing Stardew Valley on the TV while at the same time multitasking over here to look up, uh, you know, mods and uh, fan shipping theories? Like, am I actually going to have the full PC experience? That's not what I want on the TV. I want a gaming experience on the TV. Uh, So I just think it's bad marketing, but what does that mean, the full PC gaming experience on the TV? Does that mean that we can get those mods like you said? Does that mean that we're going to have Steam on there and we're going to be able to play all these things? What We still don't know what this is, and they've been very intentionally guarded about what this thing is, and I think they run the risk of us forgetting about it and not caring about it, and... But also, I think they run that risk just by releasing this thing. So, 
I can't totally blame them. And I wonder, I just wonder who this is for and what, what service it's supposed to fulfill. So I it, just, just to clarify, the quote is actually a full PC experience for the TV. It doesn't say anything about full PC gaming. Right. That's what I mean though. I think but, full PC experience is a, poor message i think it should say something to the effect of gaming experience because the full pc experience probably is not on the tv right like i well right yeah and really these days the full pc experience should include gaming right i mean Mm. so i mean that's it, it kind of in a weird way that quote sort of suggests that you should be able to do pc games on it but at the same time it sounds like you probably won't especially considering that the cost is now estimated between 250 and $300. And I cannot believe anyone can produce a full PC gaming experience for that kind of money. So there, there's just some weirdness going on with the, with the publicity behind this. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Well, it's yeah, just kind just of strange. That they they and then, should show their hand at some point, you know, instead of this, they're letting everything trickle out. Like they said, when they first announced it, that they don't want, they're not trying to be purposefully, uh, secretive and mysterious. They just want to make sure they put out the message uh, the right way. And I wonder what the right way is, right? After p- covering the video game media for like the past two or three years, I-, I still wonder myself what the right way to do it is. I don't know if this is the way, because now you just keep popping up with small little details that just add more questions. So I'm not near, but it's uh, it's not in a way that I'm enticed to see what it is. I'm finding out right. slowly, like, oh, it's a $250 box that runs Linux. Why? Who's asking for that? Do I really want that? I probably don't want that. And then, you know, I start moving on. So I don't know if this right. is the way to do it. Really, the yeah. way to sell gaming hardware, in my opinion, honestly, is to show games. And uh, they haven't done that once, and they haven't mentioned games really, besides as an uh, full, all-encompassing entity. So, I think this well, is not quite the right way. And I think there's another interesting thing here is that the they're they're saying also, and this is a direct quote from the Atari Box team. They said, "quote Linux lets us be more open. You can access and customize the OS, OS's operating system, uh, if you don't know, uh, and you can access games you've bought from other content platforms." Like, okay, that's also super vague, but who, like, if you've already purchased a game for another content platform, then you can pretty well assume that you've already got the piece of hardware or the console on which to play that game. So why the hell would you want to be playing it on the Atari box? I I don't understand. Like, what does that do for me? Kind of like you said, like, this is a box... And it's not giving me anything that I don't already have. Yeah, we still don't know why what am this I looking... thing is. Yeah, right. Like, like what why service... am I looking for a box that lets me play games that I've already purchased on another platform that I already have the platform to actually play it on as well? Like, why do I need two platforms to play the same game on? Yeah, the only I thing I think of when I hear that is the you know Steam Link, uh, which you can just if you're running on PC which they assume you are, you have a Steam link, like you can wire your computer through the house or wire it, wire the Steam link via Wi-Fi, and then you can stream your games to a separate TV from your PC. And uh, 
Well, that's okay. That's good. Like I use the Steam Link I wired to go to my TV, and I love that just so I can play some of my more casual controller-based games on the TV. Right. But I mean, again, there's a much cheaper system for that. It's called the Steam Link, and I got it for 20 bucks on a sale. You know, this is a $250 <laughs> box. What am I going to do with this thing? Right. And well, and I think there's another interesting thing here, and I'd be curious to hear your opinion on this. So when I think of classic games, and, and this, like I said, I'm just speaking for me, but when I think of classic games and good classic games, I don't think of Atari. And I don't think of the old Atari system, which was, was that the, I can't remember the name of it. Was that the, the 2600? That, I think that was it. Yeah, I was going to say Commodore for some reason, but that wasn't it. Commodore um, 60 is another company, I think. <laughs> yeah, that was a whole, I think so too, yeah. But I mean, I think, to me, when I think about classic games and gaming history, when, when gaming really came into its own and started becoming a craze or a fad or a movement, that was with the release of the original Nintendo, like in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm. And not necessarily with Atari. I, I kind of feel like the things prior to the original Nintendo were still a little bit too sort of fringe, a little bit niche. Uh, and, and like I said, I could be wrong, but I don't think of any amazing, classic, really popular games that I'm nostalgic about from Atari. And that most certainly is a product of my age. Yeah, it's it's our um, age, and but, also you didn't have an Atari console. I have no nostalgia attached to Atari games. I never played Atari games. I, I, I was too old, too young for those games. I didn't even exist when those games were hitting the market. Right. So Nintendo was already in people's homes when I was old enough to hold a controller, right? And so I have no nostalgic feelings towards the Atari uh, there are plenty of people who do. Is this who they're for? I, I don't know. Like, that's the thing. Uh, they said, though, in, when they first released this, they said, yeah, a lot of Atari classic games will be on this thing. Does that mean they'll be in- pre-installed on the thing? Uh, there's so many, there's still questions that, like, I was asking when I first heard about this thing existence. And, and you're still I'm asking. Still asking now. And now I'm asking more <laughs> questions. Like, what does a $250 box get me? And there's right. no word about it. Like, well, I'll I, tell you, Joe, it gets you a full PC experience for the TV. Yeah, I guess so. That's what they <laughs> that's what they claim, at least. I don't know. I wonder, I, like, what did they hope to gain by announcing all of this, like, this early? Is it too early for them to be announcing things, or do they need to uh, let word spend that this thing is a thing before the fiscal year ends? Like, are they in that much trouble that they have to... Like, I don't know how they are doing themselves any service with this... Uh, this uh, messaging. Well, right, and and I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And part of where I was going with with what I was saying about this is that I don't know that these old classic Atari games, although they may not appeal to you and I because of our age, as we've as we've admitted, I'm not sure that there's even that big of a segment of people who are older than us that these classic games appeal to. I mean, certainly there are some. But I think the amount of people that are out there who uh, who are really nostalgic for Atari games or really wish they had, you know, X, Y, and Z classic Atari games is probably much smaller than the amount of people that are pumped about, you know, NES classic re-releases or SNES classic re-releases. And so I kind of feel like even if they do attract the majority of the people who are into old Atari games... How big is that number really? And is it really big enough 
that this console will be successful if they are in fact able to appeal to those people. Yeah, so, I couldn't. It, I couldn't speculate on how big it was, except. Uh, but you are probably right. But I mean, even if that was the intention, right? This is not a novelty item. That's not what they're uh, purporting this to be. I don't know what they are claiming this to be, but I do know what it's not. It's not a novelty Super Nintendo Classic Mini, right? It's not like that. It's not this thing that's well, tugging on, on the heartstrings the of all- for wood paneling. It, well, there is that, yes, but I mean that. Honestly, <laughs> the the best thing they have going for it was that wood paneling with the white uh, back image lighting. Like that's that was a pretty sleek look. Like it looks great. I just want to know what the fuck it is and what they want me to do with it like they yeah uh, i'm 100 percent with you right now it's like a 250 dollars paperweight in my mind yeah absolutely so hopefully they'll start getting a stronger messaging coming across talk about games talk about games everyone if you all talk about games we'll all listen I am here with another editor of Gaming Trends. I think I said another, so I'm going to try that again. I am here with another editor of Gaming Trends, our Assassin's Creed Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War aficionado, one Josh Devlin. Josh, how are you? I appreciate you remembering that. Good. I'm good. How are you, Joe? I'm doing fantastic. I I will say, well, I'm doing well. I will say, though, that I am right now sitting with you at a time that is a bit precarious because we're in the middle of a very important yankee game that i just left and some intense things happened so we're gonna talk really (laughs) quick about assassin's creed and i'm gonna kick you off right as right at the end i'm gonna go watch more yankees but i am doing well and you dive off of things (laughs) yeah so you are of course talking about there (laughs) there you go we're good confirmed so we are of course talking about uh, Assassin's Creed Origins, which you got to play a little bit of uh, with Ubisoft. And uh, yeah, I, so you're here to tell us about Assassin's Creed and how stabbing things and jumping off ledges is, is still very present and pervades through the entire game, which, which we're very happy to hear about. But uh, in general, what did you think of the your experience so far with the game? Um, well, it, it's, it's interesting because this is the first mainline assassin's creed we've had um since they took a year off yeah you know this this series is kind of had a reputation where it's kind of oversaturated itself mm. by just I mean, there were was there was a couple of years where we had two assassin's creeds or at least the one year where we had unity and rogue in the same year right yeah we had one on one console generation one and a totally different game on a separate generation so uh, needless to say fans have been getting a little bit uh agitated with you know the the staleness of the series so people are excited to to have a game of kind of a fresh start and i think that's what the the development team is looking at it Mm -hmm. um they, they, you know, they'll tell you a little bit differently because this is the team that worked on Black Flag. So, okay. from since Black Flag, they've been working on this game. So for the last four years, this has been their project, um, and they're going back to Egypt, which everyone knows for the uh, foundation of the Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Oh man, what is it? What? Where do we start? I got to play a. Um, well, I mean, uh, what do you th- what do you think so far? As like, why yeah. don't we start with like an ev- the evolution? Like, it sounds like okay. the Assassin's Creed has gone off on like some like you know five year sabbatical, but it hasn't been that long. Although yeah. you did say that this development team has been working out for four years. I'm not familiar with like their dev cycles. You know, like Call of Duty has a team on a specific game for normally two years maybe three uh i don't know if it's a similar situation or if this four-year dev cycle for origins is anomalous to the assassin's creed team that's that's interesting point i didn't i didn't get that information whether or not Obviously, they've been working on the game since Black Flag, which was in, released in 2013. Yeah. Whether or not it was originally planned to be a 2016 release on a three-year cycle, but they decided to kind of give the team a little bit of extra time, another year, so that we can you know, kind of reevaluate the series as a whole. I don't know how that works. Um, but needless to say, when talking with the devs... Um, that the refresh was very much um, a part a part of their development process. They did recognize, or at least maybe from the top level down, I'm not sure, that there big changes needed to be made. Um, and I actually there's an interview that we'll uh, I'll have up on the site where I talked to uh, Jean Goudeau, the creative director, mm. and he said that um, really the main thing that they wanted to keep from their last game to this game black flag to origins was like the overall philosophy of exploration and that's basically it everything else was kind of you know up for grabs so a lot of stuff has changed they went heavy into the the rpg mechanics of it the um they went for a more quest quest line structure no more of the you know I mean, there are still towers that you synchronize, but that's not necessarily opening up more points for you to, you know, clear from the board, from from the map. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess it's more like traditional RPGs. You can have multiple quests going at one time. You can finish them in any order. You can, you know, be on a quest. If you're not doing well, you can just break off and do something else. So it's interesting in that in that regard, that the the things that you're doing within the world seem to be a little bit more, a little bit more engaging, a little bit more. There's more layers to them. Mm. Um, a lot of the quests will have various steps that you have to complete. You know, which is that's been in video games forever. It's been mm. if you've been playing open world RPGs, that's how quests work. Mm. But this is new for the Assassin's Creed series, so it's. It's 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 fun to have the same traditional stuff that you've had, sneaking around, stabbing people with hidden blades, diving off of towers, but then you also have this, you know, this other RPG element that you've never had before, so Okay. That's, That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a lot we saw a lot of that at the I think it was yeah. the E3 demo and they were definitely yeah. heavy on the like look here's here's our little RPG elements. So those are there. We got a check mark. Yep. We got an RPG here. And yeah. uh that I I hope that serves to uh make a more robust experience. Uh I do want to talk about like maybe our experiences as Assassin's Creed 
uh, fans or non-fans. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was a fan of the series. Uh, I definitely got tired of the very repetitive nature of the series, and also um, just uh, it became less and less interested with each uh, new, uh, you know, a new introduction of different characters and different areas. It's always mm-hmm. interesting to visit new areas and new uh, countries and different time spans, but it was less interesting to find a new character that we were supposed to start liking all over again. And, you know, they weren't necessarily uh, jiving with me. Like, you know, Unity was the last game I played, and I played a very bare minimum of that game. And yeah. uh, it did feel just like a lot of repeat Assassin's Creed. And that's just what's going to happen with a series like this when you have people reiterating on their work from a year or two years ago. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's exciting to hear that a team has put in four years' work into something and has uh, made a more robust system. RBG elements are great. What I want to know, though, is more about the environment. Because for me, Assassin's Creed, since the beginning has been about being in a cool area, looking cool while doing cool things. You know, basically yeah. you're you're running around these exotic looking uh, uh, village rooftops, whether it be in the villas of uh, of of Rome or wherever, or or somewhere in Italy, or if it's the slums of some uh, Middle Eastern. Uh, village in the first game you know you're always running around doing cool things and it's very exotic looking area so for this game this is in ancient egypt what was the uh feel for you how did you feel about the environments that you did see while playing it well it is very beautiful um it's a very detailed game um there's a surprisingly a lot more color than i would have originally thought you know, I've never been to Egypt, but there's a lot of there's a lot of <laughs> well, sand. Sand. <laughs> sand tends to be the same color. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they found ways to to add color to the environment. Um, there were some there were lavender fields here and there. They had uh, a lot of water. There's a lot of water, um, at least in the the part of the map that I played. Um, the a lot of the characters, the NPCs, and, and Bayek, your your character his, himself, uh, are adorned with you know lots of blues and golds and, and different colors. So they found a way to to add some brilliance to the the overall you know sand. I don't know the color of sand. <laughs> sand yellow. Well, you could give it sand a little yellowish. Yellow. It's yeah, a kind of a yellow. It's like the beige door found- behind me right here. This is yeah, sand yellow right here. You guys yeah. can just imagine Joe's door. Yeah, for our audio listeners. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was a beautiful game. Um, it's still, it's weird. It, it feels a lot like Assassin's Creed in some of the more quirky ways. Like, the characters in the world, the NPCs walking around the villages, they're still awkward. When you, you know, bump at them, they're still, and they have spaghetti arms and say something absurd. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That is a a touchstone of the Assassin's Creed experience. Yes. I'd be, I'd be, you know, I'd be a little dumbfounded if I didn't have that. You know, you run into someone and they're like, that's very dangerous. You know, one of those cliche lines. Yeah. Yeah. The, um. The cinematics aside, you know the the, the narrative crafted um, cutscenes; those are beautiful. 
but the the if you walk up to a quest giver and you're just talking to them and you still have control of the camera they're very much like blank eyed stares you know kind of just that same old like just awkward feeling characters um which is weird that that's just assassin's creed so it's i don't think that's a compliment that it's still it wasn't it wasn't a ringing endorsement but i mean it's it's fine (laughs) it's what we expect of it well like it's but the but the, so far the environment seemed like beautiful to you, and they had a lot of like handcrafted areas. I felt like there was a lot of copy and paste in a lot of these games. They're uh, not necessarily uh, just very. It wasn't very samey these environments, you know. But but over time, I felt like a couple of the places just started to seem very repetitive, yeah. even though they were supposed to be these reimaginings of these very uh, distinct cities. Uh, yes. So, but something like ancient Egypt, I'd like to believe that there's a lot of like uh, landscapes and uh, areas, like um, you know, uh, points of interest type things. Yeah. Around. Now, so there, I did the Alexandria and bigger city, bigger ancient Egyptian cities weren't available in this portion of the demo. So I can't say if you still have that same you know, verticality that you're used to in Assassin's Creed games. Mm. The, this was more of a lot of, this was more of a coastal region, a lot of fishing huts. Um, There were some like villages scattered here and there. And you'd see like a, uh, I don't even know what you would call it, but I would say it's akin to like a barn silo, you know, out in a field somewhere. So there were things to climb, but you, I didn't find myself, running and bounding along rooftops there wasn't that there's a lot of open space Mm. between villages too so in order to you know combat that they provide you with vehicles now so you've got horses camels uh chariots okay when you say vehicles i mean that those are accurate (laughs) but when you say vehicles i think oh we're going grand theft auto they got cars they have motorcycles (laughs) we got a speed you know speed runner exactly yeah Zeppelins. Yeah, there you um, go. They have uh, felucas, which are the the little um, the little boats with the oar steer in the back. Oh right. Um, yeah. Yeah. They uh, there there are some larger ships that you can't commandeer, but you can you know go on and I guess there's there's a quest line I had where you had to infiltrate one and take down the captain and things like that. They're not big like you would think from you know. The, from Black the Caribbean Flag, yeah. Black Flag because yeah. the, just the technology wasn't there. And, of course, Assassin's Creed and Ubisoft, they like to you know, try and keep the development close to as accurate as they can. Sure. Um, but I, I don't know. It's interesting. It's, it's flatter, it's more open space. So you, you're on horses a lot more. You're on chariots. You're on boats. Mm-hmm. You're not running around as much as – you usually are an Assassin's Creed game. Yeah. So that's it's weird the, that... Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting uh, juxtaposition to the old games. Like, it's something they have the option to do, I would assume, you know, because... And for one, like, the running around and climbing things was often... Uh, 
the center of my frustration with the game because while it was like I said the experience was climbing around and looking cool and good jumping around these areas in a cool parkour manner it was also mm-hmm. the center and core of my frustration because every time you want to jump this way your character would jump that way and it was yeah, just it sucked it, into it be- a wall or yeah. something it almost yeah. became a cliche of how uh, you know finicky third person control games uh became in this generation and assassin's creed was like the ultimate cliche of that so what i was going to ask you is with with or without the the uh the similar extent to climbing to the other games with or without that uh scenario what's it like to control this game is it more fluent do you feel is combat a little better uh what was your general sense of control in this game um the overall fluidity of the movement did feel good um maybe that's a a product of there not being a lot of close quarters you know maybe if we get to a point where there's a a couple buildings where the corners meet you might jump to the wrong thing i don't know but here it seemed to be if there was a wall to climb there wasn't anything else in your way so there wasn't anything to get sucked into or fall you know fall off of in an awkward way Mm. so the climbing felt good. The movement felt good. Um, the combat is the thing where it's it's completely changed. It's no longer the counter. You're sucked into a one-on-one with an enemy, and then you know counter mash X until the person you get a cool finisher. That's gone. Mm. Um, I would say, and I hate to say it because really it just sums it all up. Is more of like a Bloodborne light. Okay. Kind of thing. Um, I I don't hate you saying that at all. That sounds great. Bloodborne's got some great <laughs> fighting mechanics to it. Yeah, it's a, a there's a lock on system. You can lock on to enemies and s- switch your targets. Uh, once you're locked in, you're strafing with the. You can have. I mean, there's so many weapons, but you can have a shield and sword. You can have the two handed heavy weapons. You can have spears, which of course now enemies have hitboxes. So. The range makes a difference in how you uh, approach your combat situations. Right. It always um, so, was. Yeah. It seemed to me that yeah, it was always like you were, when you were fighting enemies, it was just uh, triggered cinematics, essentially. It's that's actually it's yeah that's exactly what the the creative director said. It was triggered cinematics, and at this point, no, they they've gotten rid of that and they've completely overhauled it. So, hitboxes system now. Um, yeah. So you. you You'll, uh, you're still finding yourself surrounded by groups of enemies. Um, there are bosses, but I didn't get to see any of those yet. Um, so I'm sure there's going to be one-on-one more uh, complicated fighting uh, combat scenarios. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you, you, you'll find yourself in a group situation, but this time you're you know locking on and you're strafing. You're doing a lot of strafing. Uh, they have a dodge mechanic now, very similar to Bloodborne, where you do a quick slide to the left or the right or back to, to avoid enemy attack. You have uh, a parry so if you time, um, I think it's the B button on the Xbox One sure. controller. If yeah, the B button, your shield will you know parry at the exact moment the enemy attacks, and then that leaves you open. There's a light and a heavy attack now. Um, heavy attacks, if you hold, will charge up, and you'll see like a flash, and then you can guard break, and then go in for more stuff. Um, there's their bow system is completely revamped. Like their what their, system? I guess, I, their bows. I guess you could say they're ranged weapons. Oh, they okay, have, okay. 
yeah, the bows now, I found myself using the bow more than anything, to be honest with you. Um, it's a free free target system now instead of like the, the old school where you just, if you pulled out the, whether it be a gun or a bow, it would just kind of lock on to a nearby enemy and you just press fire and they, it kills them. Mm. This one's a free free form aiming. There is a little bit of a... Um, uh, not not a lock on, but what is it when the uh, like oh, like called, a sticky reticle or like a little, aim assist? Yes, exactly. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of a, there you go. There's sure. a little bit of aim assist, so you can pull off like some pretty good, you know, distance headshots, if you know, because of that. But um, yeah, I found myself a lot if if I'm in combat and things got a little hairy, I would just dash out and then just start laying arrow fire down on people. So it adds. I don't know. It's it took it took a lot of getting used to because I've played a lot of Assassin's Creed games, and I'm used to just you know trying to stealth in, and then when shit hits the fan, just combo multiplier my way out of it. But this one, I couldn't do that. I died a few times. I died in some one-on-one, hmm. you know, combat situations too. Sure. Um, it's it's interesting. There was a uh, a, a quest that ended with me having to um, take on. Uh, the master of arms. So he came. He came at me with a, a two-handed mace, and immediately, in within three shots, I was dead. So I was like, "Okay, shit, I gotta try this again." So I went back in there, and uh, this time I think I went in with a spear, and I tried to keep my distance, but he was able to close in and still just, I mean, absolutely murder me. Uh, there's video. It's terrible. I got owned. So then, at that point, you, I was able to. I was like, man, I'm not going to do this right. So I just kind of snuck around the back, climbed up on top of the courtyard, and just stood up top and just fired arrows down into his head until he died. There's nothing he could do. Oh, you cheesed so, him. You got yeah, it. I cheesed him, which I don't know if that was really an option in previous Assassin's Creed games. So it was kind of interesting that you could do something like yeah, that Yeah, you here. know, it's, well, well, boss fights in general, like the, the concept of like fighting a singular person is mm-hmm. was not a very uh, regular thing in Assassin's Creed. And when it did show up, uh, if I'm remembering right, it was like a disaster. Like I remember Assassin's Creed 2 or Brotherhood or one of those that like you fought the Pope or something and you fought like all sorts of people. <laughs> it was just a nightmare. And it's insane yeah. that you that that's actually a scenario that happened in Assassin's Creed, but it does. And yeah, yeah it just, I mean, for, to, to, you know, to be totally frank that the the combat in assassin's creed's never been that great you know it was never the center point the center point has always been just the act of looking cool which i'm totally okay with that can see but uh it's yeah. interesting to hear this more sandboxy kind of uh combat system being imp- yeah. applied to it uh it's it's i hope op- i'm totally open to it because uh i think if anything needed a refresh from the games, it was definitely like those combat systems that just, it was something like, okay, I can look past the fact that this is a kind of shaky combat system or not very interesting, uh, just so I can enjoy this exotic area and this uh, semi-interesting story. And while those kind of dissipated or weren't as interesting, then things like combat and uh, shaky traveling and traversal and uh, movement starts to really uh, kind of ruin the experience. And then when you have a, an experience like that every year, you can really get sick of it. But, yeah. Uh, it sounds so said, far you, like it. There's like they're hitting on all the right points so far from what I'm hearing from you. 
Yeah, you, real quick, you did say something about the exotic areas, and that's something that the dev team is really trying to focus on, was because they talked about the importance of exploration in previous Assassin's Creed games, but they said what they were lacking and what they really wanted to hit on now was discovery. And what they did to do that, or their their philosophy, is that they got rid of the mini-map. Yeah. So now they have that eagle Senu is his name. Sure. And you can you on the fly you can send Senu up and you freely control Senu and as far as I can tell you can continuously fly as far from Bayek as you can. Um, kind of just scouting out the map, you can mark enemies, you can mark locations of interest, things like that. So uh, there was one quest that involved me having to go investigate a um, uh, a crime scene, and I, f- I found a blood splatter. I'm like, oh, okay, we're you know we got to find the body now. So I send Senu up, and uh, I was expecting to have him fly up and just kind of you know see some glowing body that he points out, and then I have to go get it. But they didn't give you any indications of what you were looking. For. I mean, you were looking for a body, but they didn't give you any clues. Mm. So I, I knew to send send you up and kind of look and just to get a bird's eye view. And uh, it took me a while. I flew around for a little bit, and it was interesting because I almost got frustrated because I was like, man, man, just give me an arrow. You know, <sighs> tell me where to go or something. But they didn't, which is interesting. They 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 wanted you to kind of discover it on your own. So after a little bit. Um, I recognized, I was like, wait a minute, there's two hay bales over by this tower. An assassin only needs to jump into one hay bale when he dives off of a tower. Why would there be two? And lo and behold, when I took Bayek over to the second hay bale, that's where the body was. Oh, wow. I didn't that's tell like you- a yeah. semi-meta like uh, observation <laughs> you made there. It's like, well, the video game developers <laughs> would only have made one bail for me to land on so the second one must be fair functioning as some other thing for the developers i don't know <laughs> i don't know if that's where their headspace was but that's where <laughs> i finally came to and that's where the body was but it yeah. was cool because they didn't the pay bill wasn't glowing they didn't give you like any you know flashing red lights this is where you should look no arrows no hot and cold meter yeah hot, it was hot, just the hand holding of accessory was definitely one of the the worst yeah. things and uh if not just the uh constant uh follow your target missions right don't get discovered by your target missions yeah. those those two things if those two things are bypassed in this game then i'm in like everything yeah. else i'll i'll suffer but those two there things. wasn't there wasn't any follow your targets in what I've played. I'm not saying that's not in there at all. Yeah, but, I would know. be shocked if there wasn't at least <laughs> two, at least two follow your target missions. Yeah, yeah, and of course they'll they'll have it so that you can't just lock into, uh, or or what are the, I hate the ones where you have to follow a fr- a friend, and it won't just let you keep. The same walking pace. You have to let your right. You just you're always like awkwardly (laughs) being like this. Like why? Why would you like? Imagine talking to your friend and he was just walking very slowly, and then every few seconds he would just lurch forward forward. in front of you, and you're trying to tell a story, and you're just like, dude, why don't you just walk right next to me? Yeah, and let let me tell you my story. (laughs) There's this conspiracy happening. I want you to take it seriously, and you're like doing the duck walk for some reason. Yeah, no, that was. These are all uh, promising things to hear. Uh, a lot of the things. It's funny hearing a couple of criticisms from you, which are all fair criticisms because they're things that we've seen before in the games. But the things that they are fixing and even implementing that are 
old news for other games and other game types. Uh, they are certainly enough, I think, to that people will uh, at least be interested and pick up the game. Yeah. So that's good for them. Yep. Uh, for just while we start wrapping this up quick, uh, so I can go watch my Yankee game because clearly not listening to it all talking about Assassin's Creed, just thinking about the Yankees, but, uh, yeah. in general, first of all, you've sold me on, uh, checking out the game because, and, and they had already done a good amount of, uh, that for their E3 demo, but, uh, it sounds pretty great. So what were your thoughts? Your not closing thoughts, but your probably your opening thoughts towards looking to forward to getting into Assassin's Creed again. What did this yeah. leave you with? The, the setting is beautiful. Ancient Egypt is going to be, I think it's going to be really fun to explore. Um, story wise, they're going to be playing around with Egyptian mythology along with their own Assassin's Creed mythology. So that's going to be cool to see how they bring that stuff together. Mm. Um, I want to see what the the cities look like to you know get a feel for more of the the parkour movement. Um, there's still going to be stabbing. There's still going to be stealth. There's still going to be looking cool in a hood while you're doing it. So that's really good assassins stuff. Assassins Creeds you know stuff there. Yeah. And the stuff that was getting stale, the combat um, and the the mission structure. I think they're taking the right steps to make that stuff more interesting. They're making the combat. Um, more engaging by adding a lot of elements, um, weapon types. You know the the weapon. We didn't even go into that, but the weapons have different attributes. They can be upgraded. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We saw some of that. You know, you can yeah. get crit on. You know, crit hits on this and that. You have a so video you, up on the site, right? Yeah, there will be. Yep. When we when we do that, uh, the embargo lifts. Um, sure. This will be out when by the time the embargo. Lifts, oh, absolutely. So yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So okay. Um, so yeah, the and then the discovery, you know, the not being a hand, not the missions not being handholdy, you know, and you being able to kind of get into a quest and, and try and figure things out yourself. I'm intrigued to see where they go with that. So. And taking away <laughs> a mini map to let you discover it, I, I, I'm I interested by that. I think that the conceit of like mini map, no mini map means more exploration and more engaged gameplay mm -hmm. i think is an accurate one but you also have yeah. to kind of design your game around that you know people were a lot talking about games that do do that my uh game my favorite game that's done that recently was uh legend of zelda breath of the wild which you do have a mini map but you have the option to turn it off and i think the mm -hmm. map was very well designed to be very visually uh like there were a lot of visual aids within just the map itself obviously so yeah i hope yeah. that Assassin's Creed has not learned from that game that has been development in te for 10 years and just came out. But yeah. I hope that Assassin's Creed has implemented that kind of sentiment towards their no minimap design. Uh, yeah. Philosophy. I think open worlds are going to be held to the Breath of the Wild bar for a long time coming, unfortunately. You know, sure, sure. Fortunately for the developers, but, you know, that game kind of changed the. The playing field for that uh, genre. Well, so I won't. I won't be expecting that. But you holding Assassin's Creed no, no. up in some in some way to Bloodborne combat, Bubbler and Light, as you called it. Uh, I yeah. that gets me excited for the game, uh, along with all these other things you're telling us about. So, 
I'm excited. You sold me on it. And uh, if I hate the game, like I hated a couple of other Assassin's Creed game, I will come ranting to you. It'll be your fault. Yeah. So or thank just you. stab me with a hidden blade in the night. You know? I I won't that do that. That's that's oh, overreacting okay. a little. But I mean, oh, I will definitely good. berate you on Twitter. That's all. That's that's what I was oh. going with. You know, your just thing. Scar me emotional. I yeah. See. <laughs> okay. Well, Josh, thank you so much for jumping on with me, taking me away from my sports, and talking to me about Assassin's Creed. I'm excited for the game now. All right, Joe. Alright Joe, so I gather you are currently playing something this week, probably multiple things. Why don't you go ahead and, and tell me what it is? What what's been what's been at the top of the Joe chart this week? Well, so this week I've been playing some of this Dishonored expansion, although it's not really expansion, it's one of those standalone uh, quasi DLC games. Uh, like all right. the games that we normally would get as a DLC installment item on a game are now just coming out as a standalone, uh, smaller experiences, right? A little more compressed experiences for like mm-hmm. $20 or $40. And this was the Dishonored uh, Death of the Outsider uh, expansion or what have you. Anyway, it's, stan- it's Dishonored the Death of the Outsider game. And uh, Dishonored is one of my favorite game franchises now. Uh, it's definitely Dishonored 1 being one of my favorite games of all time. And uh, this game makes a lot of changes, as uh, the first Dishonored expansion did, uh, to the formula, this time to the formula of Dishonored 2. Dishonored 2 followed very much in the footsteps of Dishonored 1 in terms of format and in terms of... Uh, pacing and uh actual just in every uh broad stated way uh it followed suit uh from dishonored one uh instead of it being a new innovative installment it really just kind of followed to into the next step like giving us more powers giving us more um better graphics and things like that but still being very much a similar experience uh, I had my own criticisms of Dishonored 2. You can read mine and Hunter's review. Uh, we co-reviewed that game last year. This game, you can read my review. I finally X'd out Hunter. He's not part of this review, but I mean, he did play the <laughs> game also. And uh, it's a shorter game, obviously, only five missions long. And it bypasses a lot of the digging around you normally would do in the game for things like mana, uh, bottles, which, you know, it's our, your magic bottles that allow you to do powers and you have to refill your stamina. Um, it also cuts out a lot of need to loot for cash and a lot of uh, looting for superpowers. Like you had to get these runes, these little whalebone carving things that were just your currency for upgrading your power abilities. So you were exploring a lot in the original Dishonored games, uh, Dishonored 1 and 2 and the Knife of Dunwall expansion for Dishonored 1. You would basically be exploring all these worlds, finding all of these experiences and all of these backstory notes and things like that, if you're into that thing, which I am, 
And you were doing it because you were looking for loot. You were looking, not loot really, but you were looking for whalebone items to upgrade your powers. You were looking for cash. You were looking for uh, supplies like mana and health potions. Now you're not doing almost any of those things. Instead, your mana recharges so you don't need the potions. Your powers are set so you don't get a choice in what you upgrade and what you change and what abilities you have. You just get your abilities at the beginning of the mission. Uh, or at the beginning of the game, and then you have these three set abilities throughout the entire game. And that kind of changes the experience entirely. It makes Dishonored something of like this sport, almost. Like you're playing like as if it's just this puzzle. You walk into an environment, instead of really digging into the environment and finding all of these story bits and really learning the paths of these different uh, NPCs uh, or these characters that don't show up, uh, but they leave little traces of themselves in the world. Instead of all that happening, you're just kind of using the abilities that are given to you and that are in constant supply just to take out enemies or to bypass enemies. And it kind of changes the entire experience. So it's brought up this interesting sentiment, and I'm finally getting to my point, Mike, for this, that I want to hear your part in. Like, what is the... Is the conceit of looting and like pillaging different areas for stuff, is that just this conceit that pads a game with an experience or is that like an essential part of a game experience? Uh, do you play games like Dishonored, Mike? Do you feel like you've ever played a single player game that like you're, you're often digging into the environment and you're finding uh, like notes from uh, NPCs or whatever, like an RPG or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I God, I feel like I come back to this example way too often, but Skyrim is oh sure the the one that jumps to mind. And um, there's lots of little there's journals, there's books, there's um, like little death notes from people that get you know like trapped in a cave or something and they die and they leave a little note as they're wounded and dying and then you come by and pick it up and. Um, and all these little things give you, they, they might give you a mission, they might uh, give you a clue as to where some loot is, or they might just give you, you know, background information about the, the universe or the, um, uh, that country or whatever you want to call it, that region, that, that imaginary area. Um, and I, for me, yeah, it's definitely a, it's an important part of the game experience for me. But on the flip side of that, I can also see that if you've, you know, because you said this is sort of a quasi expansion, Mm. um, I can see the appeal in experiencing a world that I, that I've already thoroughly experienced and that I know a lot about, but in a different context in like a, instead of you sort of being able to pave your own way and create your own character by developing certain abilities and, and things like that, you're just sort of forced to adapt. Um, and since it's for a, it's it says sounds sounds relatively short. You said five missions. It's five minutes short, and it's uh, normally the missions are pretty substantial. Especially in Dishonored's case, the first two or three missions are always this very uh, long experiences, very larger, much larger environments that they pack full of stuff to find. So in right. this case, uh, it is sort of that, but I mean, again, like I said, I don't, I find myself not exploring and unpacking these worlds nearly as much because I don't have to as much. Right. And uh, yeah, it does exactly, 
it serves exactly what, like you said, like since I've already experienced that, I'm now able to just focus on the more expeditious process of killing enemies or uh, bypassing enemies stealthily or whatever it is I decide to do. Because the game Dishonored is very focused on, are you going to kill a lot of people or are you going to try and do a whole non-lethal play? That's part of the uh, pull of that series. And it's... The thing is that is the that goes under the assumption that I didn't enjoy unpacking those environments, or maybe that I did enjoy it, but now I kind of want to get to the core of the game, and that made me question: Is the Sonnet's core its pure stealth mechanics and its pure combat uh, experiences? Is that the core of the Sonnet, or is the core a mix and mash of that uh, conceit of exploring an environment for stuff? while also finding out what this world is all about. Like, that was the experience for me for a long time. And I say a long time because there's only been two games and one expansion, but I've played endless hours of Dishonored 1 and many hours of Dishonored 2 because I'm just obsessed with the games. But I keep finding something new. And now I I don't all find as much new with this one. Sorry. I think that question is kind of just... um, It's dependent on the person that's playing, right? Because I've played games that offer a good amount of immersiveness and you can explore it and you can find out what's going on and you can pick up these clues and these items and things like that. Uh, but the, the story just hasn't been super gripping or the, the world hasn't been super gripping for me. And so I've, so I've kind of just glossed over those things and really just focused on the combat, like getting from A to B. And in fact, that's what's going on for me in Diablo 3, which I'm, I've put on hold a little bit because of the review that I'm doing now, which I'll talk about in a minute. But sure. Um, in Diablo, for me, it, the story has never really been very important. Uh, and I know it involves demons vaguely and them coming back <laughs> here and there and shit like that. And I'm supposed to kill them and get rid of them. And that's about as as much as I know and as much as I care to know. Uh, because I just love the gameplay. I think it's it's just really fun. And I have a great time. And I mean, literally, like I'll get in conversations with people and I'll just click through it as fast as I can. Get to a cutscene, I'll just hit escape straight through the damn thing and get right back into the combat because I don't care. Um, That's definitely so true. It, yeah, I understand that for Desa- for Diablo, for sure. It's weird saying Diablo. And maybe, Desire, yeah. maybe it's not the best comparison because, I mean, I'm not a Dishonored fan, but Dishonored is clearly far more immersive and involved than right. something like Diablo 3 is. So it's not the best comparison, but I think just dependent upon the player, um, those experiences that you're talking about, like you know, searching out these items and finding more about the the plot and the, the backstory and the and the universe that you're in, those are it just depends on the player and what they like to do. And I think outside of those things that you clearly really enjoy, Dishonored is pretty well respected for its its gameplay. So I can I can see that there are probably lots of people out there who never delved that deep into Dishonored and just ripped through it as quickly as they could, killing as many people as they could, and probably had a great time. I, I um, hope that's true because Dishonored one and two, like the the combat experience is fucking awesome. Like you could you just basically you just 
find enough stuff and enough upgrade yourself enough to a certain point where you're just a superhuman no matter what uh path you've decided to take and right. uh, what type of build you have so you just have this insane amount of abilities that just you're you're able to rip through tons of people by halfway through the game and uh that's definitely part of the uh experience for me i love just being able to just like decimate enemies i mean it's just so much fun in dishonored so that's definitely part of it I wonder, though, if there's a lot of people, like you said, who were just looking for that. We're just looking for their kicks in uh, slaying hordes of enemies. And uh, if they do, then maybe this is the game for them. But also, this game's a little easier, I did find. And I'll I go into more detail in the review. Uh, but there's a lot more ease in this game, even though the... AI is very difficult and they you can set the difficulty to be to be very very difficult with different custom sliders and the experience which is a great thing that they've added since Dishonored 2. Uh but this game gives you some abilities uh specifically through Billy Lurk so the character you're playing as is someone from Dishonored 2, uh the captain of the uh the uh something well I already forget the name because the story just doesn't matter. But uh anyway, you're playing <laughs> as this character that uh isn't necessarily marked by the outsider who is the uh deity of the your superpowers in each game. Uh but she does get touched by the, the outsider. It's all very convoluted and silly. She does get superpowers. You get three powers throughout the entire experience. And one of them is this reconnaissance type power, which everyone gets. Normally, you get something where you can see enemies through walls. This ability allows you to leave your body disembodied and like float around a space and freeze in freeze to time. And you can see where everyone is and mark all the enemies. So it becomes infinitely easy to just leave your body and mark all the enemies around you and then just either bypass them or kill them all without being seen and it just makes the game insanely easy especially if you played other games yeah and even if you're playing on the hardest difficulty so they even kill the challenge in uh getting through enemies by giving you this ability and the other abilities are very cool the new blink ability is very cool but i i feel that in a in an attempt to compress the experience and to expedite all of the fluff as it were that they normally try to give you an uh, an abundance in these games. I think they may have thrown the baby out with the bathwater, if you would. You know, I think part of that dishonored <laughs> experience for me was definitely the conceit of looking around for stuff and finding stuff, and then finding more stuff that I wasn't looking for, but it was an enjoyment to find anyway. You know. So I'm just going to add a, a final word on this, and then I want to talk about what I reviewed. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I was thinking about the two experiences separate from each other. So the one that's this quasi expansion you're talking about and the full game Dishonored 2. And um, I, I mean, while I haven't played either one, for me, I think if you if you took this quasi expansion that you're playing and it was its own game, its own standalone game and, you know, remove any relation to Dishonored 1 or 2, basically just erase those. I don't think this game that you're playing would be very appealing because there's no, it sounds like the plot doesn't matter. There's really not any choice in your character and it just kind of sounds a bit bland. It definitely um, feels that way in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I feel like, I don't, I don't know if you're considering this game to be successful or not, 
but I feel like it definitely, this game would certainly not be successful if it hadn't had Dishonored 1 and Dishonored 2 preceding it. Because I think the only reason it works is because those games existed before it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that you're pretty much on it. It definitely does uh, fail in one respect, and in a couple of respects for me, and in that broad sense that, yeah, in, if this was just on its own a game, which it technically is, it's a standalone experience that you can purchase, uh, divorced from any other Dishonored games, and on its own, it doesn't feel that abundant with ex- something with stuff to explore and experience it's just kind of these spaces wherein you can take out enemies in semi-creative ways you can't even really get too creative because they don't give you a very large arsenal because they set your character you're locked in so uh, yeah in an attempt to uh expedite the whole process and cut out the fat they kind of cut out a little more they cut out some mm. of the meat as well you know so I think you're if if that's what you got from me then I'm I'm glad that I succeeded in explaining to you why I hate this game so much it's terrible. No, I I actually <laughs> ex- enjoyed some of the experiences cuz I love Dishonored's mechanics, but I did feel like I was robbed of some of the experience. Uh even though they were probably trying to do us a favor, like trying to get us to not waste so much time pillaging all of these different environments. But here's there's other problems I have with it also that it. I'll just I'll leave. Yeah, sorry. My my analogy for this is like when you're when you want to make tacos at home, and you go to the grocery store and you're looking you're looking at the ground beef or minced beef here as it's called, uh, or beef mince, uh, and you look at the the fat versus lean meat percentage. Like, you you look at like the ones that are ninety eight percent lean, and you're like, oh yeah, that that looks pretty healthy. That'll probably be good. And then you cook it up, and it makes a shit taco because you've trimmed out all the fat. Mm. And it's just it's just kind of a trimmed down version. What you want, you want that like eighty five or eighty percent lean with the fat for the flavor and the you know the extras. Yep, that's what you want for the tacos, and that's you're <laughs> you're right right now you're dishonored, playing the ninety eight percent lean. Dishon- like, absolutely, and- dishonored outs death of the outsider is definitely the leanest dishonored taco I've ever consumed <laughs> or constructed. Absolutely. <laughs> I need the fat. It it needs to be entwined with the meat, right? It can't be. See, it, right. It's not divorced from the meat. It is part of the meat. So, and it gives it the flavor. I agree. And just when you never thought the tacos could be related to Dishonored, no, I've, I've now I've analogy. now attached the two. I I agree entirely. I love it. So, we're gonna just talk real quick about uh, what I'm reviewing at the moment, which is Total War Warhammer Two. Uh, and it's it's a pretty hard game to wrap up quickly. Um, it's obviously it's it's standalone, so you don't have to have Total War Warhammer One, but it's definitely related. A lot of, in fact, almost all of the races from the first game are present in this game, although none of them are playable, which is definitely going to be something that will be modded. And something that will probably be very requested to be actually built into the game in the form of a DLC at some point. Um, whether or not that happens or not is who the hell knows. But um, it's a really, really good game. Your your objective is different. Whereas in the first one, you were just sort of constantly preparing yourself to resist the impending chaos invasion. And then after you defeated it, basically you were just trying to fulfill... Um, what they call victory objectives. So controlling a certain amount of settlements, 
uh, and various things like that in order to win the game, or you could just take over the whole damn map and kill everyone. Um, and Creative Assembly has kind of been following that same, um, what do you want to call it, that same objective-based game for all of the Total War series for a long, long time, minus the chaos part. But it's basically been, you know, with Rome Total War, Medieval Total War, um, and and a lot of the other ones, basically it's always been, here are your victory objectives, fulfill this and you win, or take over the entire map and you also win. And that's basically been it for years and years and years. Hmm. So for Total War Warhammer 2, they went with something very different. There's this big swirling maelstrom uh, in the map that's just called the vortex and it's sort of this big doom machine kind of thing and the four main races that are playable are all fighting to complete this series of rituals uh in order to basically control the vortex for their own reasons and you no matter who you play you have to prevent the other races from controlling it and finishing all their rituals and then you on the other hand have to complete all of your own and control it. And if you fail, I, I believe, I haven't quite finished a campaign yet, but I believe if you fail at any one of those points, you just lose. And there's no, like, going back or anything. You just, you're, it's done. You're finished. Campaign's over. You lost. Start over. Um, so it's definitely a more unforgiving. Um, but I do already have, I mean, yeah, how I think long the, is that campaign that you're kind of being X'd out of once you lose? Well, it depends because you can lose it. You can lose it pretty quickly if you want, or well, sure, you can you not last a minute. Or right, I mean, but I'm. I think I'm going to win, and I'm getting close to forty hours in. But that's not necessarily. Oh some people do it much faster than that. Um, some people do it a lot slower than that. And camp every campaign is a little bit different. You know, you always get put in different situations that will either extend your campaign or maybe make your campaign a lot shorter. Um, and so it's a, it's a really interesting game and it's nice for one to have four brand new races, none of which are human, which is really cool. Uh, and they all look very, very unique. They all have very unique play styles, very unique units. They all, uh, they've put in a lot of new unique building chains at your, at your settlements. They've put in some more, uh, interesting abilities like you can, so you've got your rituals for the main objective, but you've also, each race has what they call rights, so you can perform these certain rites to have racial boosts or uh, so like spontaneously pop these random armies out and go rape and pillage. Mm. Um, and, and so it's they've brought in a lot of really new elements, and at the same time, there are some old nagging issues that are still coming back. Um, so, for example, when you go to fight a battle... You generally have three choices. You can retreat, you can do, you can fight it yourself manually, or you can do what's called auto-resolve, where this proprietary creative assembly formula sort of somehow comes up with, you know, the, the like the strength and toughness and strategic weight of your army versus the forces of your enemy, and does some behind-the-scenes calculation and decides that you're the winner or you're the loser. And that's it. And yeah. it just happens at the click of a button. And ever since these series have been around, that has always been a contentious issue because people have always, you know, ended up in these situations where they feel like their army is 
clearly superior and they hit auto resolve and somehow they get butchered. And we're coming into that again. The one of this, uh, there's a race of rats called the Skaven and they are like across the board. They're just getting decimated in auto resolve battles. Uh, so that's coming back and pissing people off. And the lack of naval battles is also pissing people off. And that's especially, um, that's especially noticeable in this game because in this campaign map, whereas in the Total War Warhammer 1, there wasn't a whole lot of water anywhere. There were bits sort of in the north and a big stretch of it to the west, but it wasn't very important. In this one, water makes up probably 15 or excuse me, 50 percent of the map. And there's like multiple huge continents that you have to cross in between. And so the lack of having naval battles and only being able to auto-resolve when you're on the water is pretty silly and it's becoming much more of a glaring issue. Um, but again, it goes back to whether or not this is Creative Assembly's fault or whether this is the owner of the Warhammer IP Games Workshop's fault. And it could very well be Games Workshop's fault because they've this is all based on a tabletop game and there's never been any naval battles in the tabletop game. So this could be something very simple like Games Workshop saying, look, we've never had naval battles. We've never made any naval units. We don't have any information or history or lore or anything. So, Well, has there been any like, uh, dialogue with the developers and the designers and uh, the, you know, like the, the fan base? Not that's ever been publicized that I know of. I'm sure it happened behind the scenes because... Creative Assembly has released previous Total War series that don't have anything to do with Warhammer, and they've had naval battles in them. That was a, a somewhat recent development, I think, within the last five years or so, but they have made them, and people liked them for the most part. But, uh, I, like I said, I think the issue is just that the tabletop game and the really, really extensive like lore and the novels and the history behind this game as far as I know, have never, ever really incorporated naval battles, like ever. And there are no units, even to this day, for the tabletop game that involve navies and ships and things like that. So I, if Creative, or excuse me, if Games Workshop was to tell Creative Assembly to make something, it would basically be, they would have one of two choices. They'd, like, once Creative Assembly made it, Games Workshop would either then have to make it canon within their own universe or they would have to be like, no, no, that kind of just didn't happen for the sake of the tabletop game and the novels. Man, Canon so, is such an interestingly contemptuous issue. Like it, you can, you can take one side of it and be like, Oh, Canon. So like, what does it matter? Just give us, give us what we want. Give us the naval battles. Give us, give us the juice or, you could be a totally different person be like, it's not canon. It's wrong. You're fucking everything up. You're, you're shaking my, <laughs> my small little world where I feel comfortable in. No, I feel, I, I definitely feel for canon canonites, but it's a funny yeah, issue. Yeah, it's, a, it is a weird issue and I'm not really sure where I stand on it. I mean, it's, are you a fan I, of the lore of total wars, Warhammer's, uh, backstory and 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 history and universe. i've kind of been a fan of of the warhammer stuff but i've more always been the sci-fi the the warhammer forty thousand fan yeah um so i suppose to me it wouldn't it wouldn't make a huge difference but like i said the 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 issue is that 
not only is there more water in this one, but it's really, really important in a lot of cases to actually go across those big bodies of water, not just for conquering, but also to prevent these these rituals for the vortex from happening. So in a lot of cases, you you have to be marching or sailing across these uh, these vast oceans. And like if you do just lose this super expensive experienced army to a computer simulation that you can't control that is frustrating as hell that is incredibly frustrating Mm. so it's 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 becoming a problem and i think you're going to hear people complaining about it more and more well i probably won't hear anything about it unless you start telling me about it (laughs) because i haven't heard anything about total war warhammer until i get to this fair enough Fair enough, and yeah, and on that uh, on that note, you'll you'll hear more about it when the review comes out. I'm hoping later this week, but since it's such a long game, and I've I've really only been playing the Lizardmen, and I feel like I need to yeah, do a little bit more than that. Forty hours to do, into Total War Warhammer. Yeah, seriously, dude. Like, for, I mean, compared to my Total War Warhammer one, which I think is getting close to five hundred hours now, it's it is quite meager. So. I don't know when I'm going to feel comfortable actually writing it, you know, in the sense that I've gotten a good enough handle on the whole game. Um, so we'll see when that is. And basically when I decide that I feel that way, then I'm going to write the review. That's fine. But uh, I'm hoping that that's later this week. So I'm hoping it'll come out later this week. Um, but it's already out. So you don't even need to pay attention to my review. If you want to, you can go buy the fucking thing right now, but please do read my review on gamingtrend.com. Definitely. And uh, read read Joe's stuff about uh, what's Dishonored Two. What's the name of it? Say again. Sorry. What's the name of your Dishonored Two quasi expansion? Dishon- Dishonored Death of the Outsider. Dishonored Death of the Outsider. Awesome. All right. Well, and with that, I think uh, Mr. Joe and I are going to say farewell and sayonara and bid everyone adieu and good night. All um, those things, depending on what time things. zone you're in, yeah. Yeah, and depending on whether or not I actually said those things properly, because I doubt that I did. Uh, but uh, you can follow Mr. Joseph DeClara on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at, is, is it just Joey Dagabonuts, or it's is it Joe Dagabonuts? Joey Dagabonuts, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I never remember if it's Joe or Joey. Okay, so that's basically a bag of donuts with the d and the b switched and then you chuck a joey on the front of it <laughs> and uh you can follow me on twitter my handle is at grumpy gamer which is grumpy with two r's and uh joe and i podcast every week so tune in for that and for everything else please read our wonderful content on the new improved and quite frankly sexy looking gamingtrend.com website yes definitely sexy definitely new. awesome Thanks for coming on to my podcast this week, Joe. Yeah, man. Uh, Thank you so I'll much for having me. I'll be on your podcast next week. Oh, I would love to have you on my podcast. It would be so great. It's called the GT Reboot. You guys should all check it out. <laughs> Every week we Excellent. air, Mike and I. So- Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, right. I will I will definitely come on next week, Joe. I Thanks for coming on my podcast. Look forward to it. Thank you for, for having me. <laughs>
Thank mm-hmm. you.